And what's awesome about this couple is that Carrie and I set them up. Uh, we're the ones that kind of put the whole thing together. We went with them on their first date and uh, enjoyed that time with them. And I, I, was, I, I reached out to them this week and I said, how long have you guys been married now? And they said, we've been married 15 years. I was like, what? 15 years? That's insane. I, I feel so old. And I, but, but you think about their life over the last, you know, in their marriage, what the fruit of it is they've got two beautiful children. Uh, Lila got baptized last Sunday. We were able to be a part of that. It was really cool. Uh, Johnny's had the privilege of baptizing both of his daughters, which is, which is really awesome. Um, they, they just this, this year bought a miracle home. God gave them a miracle home. Absolutely astounding. And you can see the blessing and the favor of God, it's upon their life. And so I wanted to share with you, I wanted them to share with you just briefly a, a nugget, a marriage nugget that they've learned over this course of their, of their marriage. And so let's give them a big round of applause as they do. Like Pastor Adam said, is we've been married for 15 years um, this March. It's so crazy how time flies. Um, and honestly, I feel like it's been a learning process for everything and every season that we've been in life. You know, we've had ups, we've had downs, we have deaths in the family, financial crisis. And, um, but it's been good and it's been a learning process. Um, but I will give you guys a, a, a disclaimer. I know we look like Ken and Barbie. And it looks like everything's in line. Okay, more like Shrek and Barbie or something. But look, we don't have everything put together. You know, we're, we're still learning. And all I can do and we can do is try better each day and try to grow even more. So um, dating was a breeze, man. Dating was so much fun. Um, they did actually set us up. And yes, I did call Carrie before because I wanted to make sure he was a good guy before I even went on one date with him. And it turns out I, I fell in love with him. I was like, I really love this guy. I want to marry him. I knew after just a few short months that he was the one that I wanted to marry. And he was great, man. I mean, he would like show up to my work on my lunch break with a picnic lunch and a blanket that he made for me. And on the end of our dates, he would like um, give me cards and write like messages like this is to remember our date by. And you know what I mean? He was just very romantic. It was so much fun. We never had any, yes, take notes guys. And girls take notes. If you don't do all that, then dump him, man. Dump him. But anyways, so, I mean, it was just fun. We did not fight. We didn't have any drama or anything like that. And, and that's just a little side note right there. If you're dating and there's a lot of drama and there's a lot of fighting, either you're not dating in the right way, so you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, or maybe that's not the person for you. So I just want to kind of know that those problems should start then. That should happen when marriage is, you know. Well, anyways, so... Then we went into the first year of marriage, and I'll let you go there, babe. Everybody says the first marriage, the first year of marriage is hard. Not with us. It was awesome. I traveled for, for, for work, and I was gone. I would leave Sundays, come back Thursday, Fridays. It's like a honeymoon. You know, one thing I, I, was, I would always remember is the house was clean, and she was like, honey, do you want cookies? And do you want, you know, it was awesome, you know, great. I was only home on the weekends, you know, and, and you know, I put expectations, and I was like, dude, I, I, re, I got gold. Like, oh, my gosh, like, this is so awesome. Second year marriage, not so much. I, I started traveling. I stopped traveling. I stopped traveling. I was home more. Um, the house was not as clean like I thought it was. I would come home, and, wow, there's dishes in there. Okay. Are you going to wash them or, you know? Okay, all right, great. Um, and then 
And then I, I, and then I started trying to lead, and I was like, Jen, you know, those dishes need to be clean, and when I come home, I expect this, and we're, you know, and I was very machismo. And I know you got some of those Hispanic, Mexicanos, you know, vieja, clean the house, you know? It don't work like that with that one right there. Um, it, went, it did not work. And unfortunately, we started fighting a lot. So now, he's <laughs> laughing about this, because we had so many fights. And it was like dumb fights. Like, I can't even remember half of what the fights were about. But it always ended up with me crying and Johnny driving away, and the fights wouldn't get resolved. Um, and so I was just like, I don't want this. This is not the kind of marriage I want. Now, at this point, too, I just want to let you know, I hadn't learned how to fight smart as a woman. Uh, there's a way to fight smart. So what would happen is he would do something like, you know, whatever. What are the dishes? How come the dishes aren't done? And I'd be like, I don't know. You want to do them? You know what I mean? And it would start one of those, you know, things. And then I'm not going to lie. I would tell him how I would feel. And he would laugh in my face and call me crazy. And there might have been a remote control that flew at his head. You know what I mean? I don't know. Or a candle that flew across the room. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, it wasn't, a good, it wasn't good kind of fighting. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like, and I told him, I'm like, dude, this is not how I want my marriage to be. We waited. We did what was right. You know what I mean? I wanted a man of God. You are a man of God. I, I love the Lord. This is not, we don't want to have kids and bring them into this. This is not, not okay. We need to get some counseling. We need to get some help. And um, I just want to make a little pause and just say how thankful I am for, for Pastor Adam and Pastor Perry because they've always been uh, an example to us and the fact that they've been transparent with us. You know, when growing up before we were married, they would tell us like, hey, you know, marriage isn't always easy. We had to get help, you know what I mean? And it wasn't, they were always respectful about it. They were never like putting each other down. It wasn't that kind of thing, but it was just like, hey, we struggled. It was hard and we had to go get help and we went to counseling. So there's no shame in counseling. I know sometimes that there is that thing, but people are like scared to go get help. And, and what happens is they neglect the help that they need to get. And then small problems that aren't really that big of a deal turn into big problems. And then there's, you know, there's things that happen that can't be brought back together. So anyways, with that in mind, I'll, I'll let you go from there. So I said, let's go to counseling. And you know what Johnny said? He said, heck no. <laughs> heck no. <laughs> Once again, I am Mexicano. You know, I got my deep roots. I might look like, a, you know, act like I'm, you know, white in the outside, but I'm, I'm you know, I got, I got my roots. But anyhow, I was like, heck no. What happens in my house stays in my house. Who's, you know, it was so easy to like, you know, well, that's them. You know, I don't care what they do, but my house, nobody needs to know what happens. But my wife's very stubborn and very convincing, and so we went to counseling. Um. It, and I just want to let you know, guys, it was awesome. The reason why it was awesome is because Pastor Carl sided with me. And it was, he sided with me and he was saying, Jen, you have a problem, Jen. I love that he, this is all he remembers from the whole counseling session. <laughs> Is that I'm right and you're wrong. And I think this is hilarious because guess what? If you're right, I'm right. And if I'm right, you're right because we're a team and we work together. But he did give us some good, some good wisdom in that counseling. Just kind of brought us back to, hey, you know, you need to feed his ego. You need to let him lead. I have a very strong personality. And uh, kind of what I would do, it, part of the reason a lot of the fights were happening is I was pretty much trying to lead myself. I'd tell him, you know, you need to go to church, and you, at this time, you need to do prayer, and you should do this, and you should do that. And I was just kind of trying to force him to do or be the man of God that I thought he should be, but that's not my place at all. What I was doing is I was taking away that God-given 
right to lead, that God's placed it in every single man, that they need to lead, they need to lead their marriage, they need to lead their home. And what I was doing is I was taking away that, that thing that God had placed inside of him and pretty much me forcing him, telling him what I think we should do is saying, I don't trust you to do it. I don't think you can do it. I don't trust you to lead the family. And so I had to learn as a wife how to follow. I had to learn how to stop, let go and say, you know what, God, I trust you. I trust that he knows you. I trust that he seeks you. I trust that you're going to speak to him and I'm going to give it to you. And I did. And the moment that I stepped back and just let him be the man that God's called him to be, that's when he really stepped forward and rose up. And I've just been amazed. And that's when things got so much better for us. One of the things, I did come out with a little something on that, in that marriage, you know, counseling session. And what it was was that as a husband, I had to learn how to, how to lead my wife. That God is not, a, and, and I, left, I learned that God was not a pushy God. He wasn't a forceful God. He didn't yell. He doesn't scream. He didn't get his, uh, when he get his way, he didn't lead, and, you know, have a temper tantrum. God leads with love. God's encouragement, encouragement has, gives us encouragement. He's patient with us. Um, and God has called me to lead my family the same way. Uh, um, so I started reading scriptures like Ephesians 5, 5.22, 1 Peter 33.7. And I learned to love, let me slow down here. I had to learn to love her the same way that Christ loved the church. It's a love that requires a little bit of sacrifice on myself. Putting her needs before my own and, it's, and I'm still working on it. You know, marriage, it, it's had its ups and downs, but I feel like, and we've had, we've lost, like Johnny said, we've lost um, loved ones, we've had financial struggles through parenting, but I feel like every time we've gone through these seasons together, we've just come out stronger, you know what I mean? And we just go back to the foundation of God, and, and I, this, this past like two years, I've been like amazed, just blown away because, I mean, we've had, we've had our ups and our downs, and I really did been trying to help, like learn, and I think how to let him lead and you know it's like a process for me because I have this natural like thing inside of me that you know it's just I want to sometimes you know I could do it I could just do it myself you know and these last two years I've kind of just totally let go and I'm just like man what an awesome man I have why didn't I learn this like so many years ago just to let him lead I mean I, there's times where I'm just like frustrated and I'm stressed out trying to be a mom trying to parent and he sees it and he's like babe it's all right I got it you go I'll take care of it he pulls our family together you know, corrects our girls, brings them back to the word of God, prays over us, and I'm just watching in the background, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just so much better. It's 15 years we've been married, and I love him so much more today than I did the first day that we were married, and I think it's all because, you know, he leads our family, and it's founded on Christ. Uh, what, what? Hold on, sorry. Really quick, I mean, if you look at the statistics for us, we, there's no way we should have made it. You know what I mean? Like we both came from broken homes. He came from a broken home. And I think about it and, and we talked about it yesterday, actually, we were talking in the car and I was like, how do we do this? You know what I mean? How do we do this? And um, we, did it with, we, we did it with Christ. And one of the, and, you know, some people know I work in construction. I've worked construction years. And an engineer can give you, some, some engineer, some random man can give you some plans. And, you know, plans on how to, how to run a marriage, how to do this. Hey, build it like this. You got to put caissons. Then you put a layer, you know, layer of concrete. Then you can build an 80, 84 feet tall building. With our relationship, and if, with, with anybody's relationship, with anybody's marriage, if they don't have Christ in that foundation, and they're not built upon Christ, that 84 foot structure is going to fall. And, that, and so when storms come hit, when you have Christ, storms hit, 
the weather comes, raining, stormy, sleet, snow, whatever it is, you're going to stand strong with Christ. So I saw, you know, one of the, Jen, we were talking yesterday, and um, one of the things, I will tell you this, is that I love my wife even more today because we went through this and we've overcome it, and it, it's just an awesome thing, guys. And I want to encourage you guys, get in the word, dig in your word. Come on. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. Great, great story. Amen. Let's get into, the, get into the word today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. I just want to speak briefly this morning about marriage, state of the union. The title of this message is Buried Treasure. And so maybe you're thinking, why do we take a month to talk about relationships? You know, shouldn't we spend our time breaking down the Bible and breaking down theology and all that kind of stuff? Well, the reason we're talking about marriage and family is because God invented marriage. All right, God invented marriage. And the reason God invented marriage is because marriage creates family. Are you with me today? Marriage creates family. Family creates community. From community, you have government and education. Literally, everything comes all the way back to marriage. And so Satan knows that if he can destroy marriage, he can dismantle the family, he can devastate community, he can get his hands in the government, and that's exactly what we're seeing happen in our world today. And so we've gotta focus on marriage and family, build strong marriage and strong families in our church. It's important that we invest in these things because we wanna make a difference in the world. Somebody say amen. And so our text is Matthew chapter 13, uh, 13 verse 44. We're gonna spend the entirety of this message right here in this verse. And it says this, it starts with the word again. And the reason it starts with the word again is because Jesus at this time is on a roll. We're reading the words of Christ and he's speaking and he's talking to his disciples and he's sharing parable after parable. And you're saying, well, what's a parable? Well, a parable is where Jesus would take something complicated put it into a story so it'd make it easier for people to understand. So he would take complicated kingdom principles and then break them down into a story so that everyone that was listening would have a, a better understanding of what he was talking about. So Jesus doesn't take simple things and make them hard. Churches do that, all right? A lot of times you'll go to a, you go to a church and maybe hear a message, and a lot of times you can hear a message and it makes the scriptures seem ex really complex, like, like the pastor's trying to show everybody how, how, how smart he is and how spiritual they are. But my assignment on a Sunday is not to make things harder for you. It's not to make it harder for you to understand. My job is that you leave here on Sunday going, duh. That's that, because if you do that, if you go, duh, then that means I did a good job. I'm supposed to take complicated things and break them down into simple terms. And so this is what Jesus is doing right here, all right? Marriage sometimes is complicated. Jesus is trying to simplify it for us right here. He's doing this in our text. And this is a game changer scripture, Matthew 13, 44. If you can put it to memory, it's gonna help you in every, every aspect of your life, including marriage, including your view of the world and all of your relationships. Matthew chapter 13, 44, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now I love this parable because what Jesus is saying is that everything that this guy wanted was right in front of him. It was right, right there in front of him and for him. And that means that whatever we need and whatever we want in life, it's right in front of us, all right? The kingdom of heaven is like 
a treasure hidden in a field, so a man found it and then hid it. The reason he hid the treasure is because he didn't want anyone else to find the treasure. He wanted to make sure that he had, he could get it. And so what he did is he sold everything that he had. So he took Betsy, his top milking cow, put her up on the market, all right? cowtrader.com and there there's Betsy everybody's saying what in the world is is Joe selling Betsy for that's his that's his best milking cow why is he doing that and then all of a sudden you start seeing on offer up in, in in those days he's got his he's got his all of his 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 um his old testament trading cards like Noah his rookie trading card is on the market all of his Samson comic books are are up for sale and there's he's got the he's got the, the original Abraham action figure and he's got he, his his uh, his shoes up for sale. His Elijah Air Ones. All right, he's got those up on for sale, and so he's selling everything. And so everybody's starting to notice this. Like, what what's Joe doing? Why is he why is he selling all of his stuff? He sells everything he had, and people are like, for that empty lot on the corner. Why would he sell everything just to buy that piece of land? He sells everything to buy the field because he saw something in it. He sells everything he has to buy the field because he saw something in it. Now, I love this parable because essentially what Jesus is trying to communicate is that everything that you're after, everything that you want in life, every promise of the kingdom is right there for the taking. It's right in front of you. The problem is it's just hidden. It's just hidden. And here's the thing. It's not hidden from you. It's hidden for you. Proverbs 25 says, says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. So, so what's that saying? God doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. It's like, it's like parents that on Easter, we, we take Easter baskets, we stuff them full of goodies, and then what do we do with them? We hide them, all right? We hide them in the closet, we hide them in the dryer, we hide them all around the house, and we follow our kids around, we go, you're getting warmer. I don't do this, my wife does. You're getting warmer, 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 warmer. Now Carrie and I aren't sitting in a corner going, ha, ah, they're never gonna find it, ha, ah, we're gonna get it ourselves. That's not what's going on, all right? We actually want them to find, we're not hiding the basket from them, we're hiding the basket for them, and we're teaching them that life is full of treasure. Sometimes you gotta search for it. Sometimes it's a little bit hidden, but let me tell you something, it's worth searching out. The good things in life don't just fall into your lap. Like none of us in here are gonna wake up one day, open our eyes surrounded by gold bars. Like, like oh my gosh. There's gold bars everywhere. They're stacked all over my room. I'm a millionaire. No, that's never gonna happen to any of us. If we want gold, gold doesn't float on the surface. If you want gold, you have to excavate it. You have to dig it up. You have to, you have to do some exploration. You have to do some moving of, of the dirt. There's gold in them there, Hills. You just gotta find it. Are you with me today? And so the first point of this message is you have to dig for buried treasure. Every one of us in our lives Whatever we're searching for, we have to dig for buried treasure. And the reason that you have to dig is because if it was on the surface, it wouldn't be there anymore. If it was just easy to obtain, it would have already been taken. Anything that has value doesn't just sit on the surface. It has to be, it has to be dug out. We dig for buried treasure. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he sells everything he has 
to buy the field. What that says is his affection wasn't for the plot of land. What he was after wasn't the field. He sold everything he had, not for the field, he sold what he had for the treasure. The desire he had was for the treasure. And so essentially Jesus is saying, if you want heaven in your relationships, if you want heaven in your marriage, if you want heaven in your life, you gotta understand that in, to, in order to enjoy the pleasure of the treasure, you have to take responsibility for the field. That's such good preaching, Adam. Oh my gosh, it's so good. So good. If you want to have the pleasure of the treasure, you have to take responsibility for the field. Now, when I first noticed Carrie, I mean, the first time I laid eyes on Carrie, I mean, first of all, she's drop-dead gorgeous. Mind-boggling gorgeous. Beautiful. Like, I was just looking at her just in total awe. I mean, I, I noticed how beautiful. Now, the... What I didn't know was that the reason that I could see all of the gold and all of the treasure inside of Carrie is because at that time, she was under her father's covering. In other words, she was still living at home and her father had taught her, her father had raised her, her father took her to the house of the Lord, and so now I'm looking at her, I'm seeing her worshiping Jesus, I'm seeing her loving Jesus, I'm seeing how she loves people, I'm seeing the kindness uh, in, in her heart, the sweet spirit that she has, and then just the beautiful appearance. I'm totally smitten, it was a beautiful thing, but the treasure I saw in Carrie then the reason that it was there was it was the result of her father's covering, all right? So then after a, after a year of being under my covering, all of a sudden, Carrie looked a little different to me. I'm like, what the heck happened? To my beautiful, kind, sweet-spirited, worshiping bride. I mean, where's the treasure? In this, I'm like, I, I, I don't even see it anymore. And I remember I was talking to Joe, not that long, I don't know where Joe is, he's our service pastor, I was talking to Joe, and he asked me, he goes, hey, do you know what WIFE stands for? And I'm like, no, I, I, I didn't know it was an acronym. He's like, yeah, it's an acronym. He says, WIFE stands for Washing, Ironing, Food, and Entertainment. <laughs> I'm like, Joe, how in the world does Elo put up with you? Washing, ironing, food, and entertainment. Bernie, I don't know where he comes up with this stuff, man. Where'd he learn this? Washing, ironing, food, and entertainment. No, he didn't really say that. He didn't say that. Okay. I said that. Okay, so, so when I married Carrie, stay with me. When I married Carrie, I was excited because I knew she was the one. Like I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew she was the one. And the wedding day, I was really excited because I'm ready to receive. Like let the washing, ironing, food, and entertainment commence. That, that's kind of what it was all about. And, and so here I am, I'm looking at Carrie, and I'm thinking to myself, now that I've married this one, somehow she's going to complete me. Like she's gonna fill in all those missing areas. After all, the Bible says that he who finds a wife, and I did, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? How many can agree with that? It's a good thing. It's a good, this is a good time for a husband to look at your wife, it's a good thing. Nod your head and say, it's a good thing. It's a good thing, okay, very good. But it also says, it's not only a good thing, but the husband obtains favor from the Lord. And so 
I understood the good thing part. Like when you find a wife, you find a good thing, but why would I need favor? See, no one ever thinks about that, no one ever talks about it, but a month after I'm married, I'm realizing wives are expensive. Like, how much do you eat, really? Like, how in the world? You need another pair of shoes? You have a pair of shoes. You need me to say I love you again? Why? Why? I told you I loved you the day we got married. Wives, they, they're, they're expensive. So no wonder you need favor from the Lord in order to keep up with all of that, all right? So, 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 so here I am. I'm thinking, if you want the treasure, here's the, here's the point of this. If you want the treasure, you have to take responsibility for the field. That's how it works in marriage. If you don't take responsibility for the field, what I experience, if you don't pay attention to the thorns, if you don't pay attention to the weeds, then what happens, the grass begins to grow. If you don't take care of that, all of a sudden, you're having trouble seeing the treasure you once saw, it's all covered over. If you don't secure the field, if you don't provide security for your treasure, the treasure that you had will be stolen away. Are you with me today? So a year into our marriage, here's Carrie and I, and we're just fighting all the time, like over dumb things, sim similar to what Johnny and Jen were sharing. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't expect that. Like I didn't expect, because we had a great time dating, and I didn't expect to be fighting. And I'm, I remember sitting down with my dad in the office, I pulled up a chair, and I'm like, I don't know what I've done. I've made the biggest mistake of my life. Dad, you don't understand, she's insubordinate. She's rebellious. She's, she's, she's not submissive, Dad. I'm telling you, she's probably backslidden. She's probably, something going on with her relationship with God, all right? See, I was expecting washing, ironing, food, and entertainment, and if I'm honest, washing, subpar. I mean, if we're grading it, if we're talking real, the washing was subpar. The ironing, non-existent, didn't happen. Food, excellent. All right, I'm gonna give her that. Food, excellent. I gained about 25 pounds first year of marriage. Food was fantastic. But I gotta be honest, the entertainment, far less than I expected, okay? And so the treasure that I married, after one year under my covering, had been covered over because I wasn't taking care of the field. So this guy, he buys the field, he understands the treasure's in the field, he knows it's in the field, and he knows you know, if I just take the treasure, that makes me a thief. I don't wanna be that. If I want the treasure, I have to take responsibility. I have to acquire the field, which means he has to fence the field, which means he has to work on the soil in the field, which means he has to remove the rocks from the field. He has to pull the weeds. He has to deal with the pests and the rodents. He has to remove the thorns and remove all, all, of, the, all of the things inhibiting growth. And I felt God speak to me after a year of marriage and say, Carrie is a product of your husbandry. And then I realized I lost the treasure. treasure did, the treasure didn't go anywhere. I lost the treasure because I didn't take responsibility for the field. You see, when, when I got married, the day I got married, the day you got married, God handed you a shovel. He handed it to you with a smile. And he's saying to you, you won't believe the treasure that's buried in this spouse if only you'll dig. If only you'll dig. And let me tell you something. When I began to dig, when I began to, to search, 
I wanna tell you something, I can't, I can't even begin to describe the treasures that I've been able to uncover in my bride. Your spouse like mine is a treasure hidden in a field, and if you'll begin to dig, it's amazing what you'll uncover. See, when I married Carrie, she was beautiful, she was kind, she was so loving. But I'm gonna tell you something, I had no idea how prophetic she was. I had no idea how much of a relational genius she would become. I, I, I can't tell you how many times her discernment has saved my bacon, has saved my butt so many times. What an incredible mother she is. Her, her children adore her, and rightly so. And so many treasures over the course of 28 years of marriage, and I believe until Jesus splits the sky and calls us home, I believe, every, I, I believe that I'll, as I continue to dig each and every day, I'll, I'll uncover more and more treasures. Don't forsake your field, because God's hidden stuff not from you. He's hidden stuff for you to uncover. Somebody say amen. All right. Point number two and we can grab it from this text as well, is we need to be a covenant maker. Say covenant maker. So Jesus begins this parable and he says, he says this. He says the kingdom of heaven is like. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to let us know that we don't understand what heaven's like. He's, he's coming from a different atmosphere. He's coming from a different reality and he's trying to, he's trying to teach us what heaven is like and we don't get it because we, we weren't from heaven. We've, we're, we've been programmed by culture and society that's indoctrinated us to think according to its values. And so whether we realize it or, a lot, or not, there's a lot of things, the way that we think and the way that we are and the expectations we have, they're not based in kingdom realities, they're based in worldly realities. And so, so the spirit of this world, which you and I understand well, operates with a spirit of lust, okay? And we like to think of lust as that guy looking at a dirty magazine. But lust is, is, is what, what is lust? Lust seeks to get at the other person's expense. That's what lust is. Lust is all about personal gain. What can I get at their expense? It's extracting the gold. It's taking the treasure without paying for it. It's taking the treasure without covenant, no commitment. And so our culture, the way our culture works today, and the way a lot of people think is, why should I buy the cow if I get the milk for free? That's the spirit of lust in this world that says, why should I make a commitment when I'm, when I'm getting all the benefits anyway? The spirit of the world operates with a spirit of lust. No interest in the responsibility of the field. I just want the pleasure of the treasure. Are you with me? So Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, guys, I come from a different place. My perspective is way different than yours. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways, all right? The heavens are higher than the earth. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, guys, listen, you don't have to wait to get to heaven in order to access heaven. I'm gonna say it again. You don't have to wait to get to heaven in order to access heaven. You can access heaven in literally every area of your life right now. And the way that you access heaven is by the thoughts and the ways that I'm sharing with you. And so he says the kingdom of heaven is like. What is he doing? He's teaching us the thoughts and the ways of God. Love is the opposite to lust. And so the message of Christ was a message of love because love gives at personal expense. 
So lust is getting at the other person's expense. What's love? Love is giving at personal expense. Love gets without any cost. It's self-serving. It's self-pleasing. Love gives regardless of the circumstance. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So the kingdom of this world, kingdom of God, operate on two different levels. Now when you're reading through the Old Testament, something that you'll see, especially in the Bible reading plan, if you read it several years in a row, all of a sudden certain words will stick out to you. In this past year, as I was reading through the Old Testament, one of the phrases that you see repeatedly in the Old Testament is the phrase worthless men. And, and every time, I didn't, I didn't really think about it much, you know, because every time the term worthless men was used, it was always describing wicked people. And so I just figured they're just tired of using wicked people, so they went to worthless men. But I began to notice that when I saw worthless men in the Bible, it always had to do with men who would give their word but had no intention of following through. And so God called men who would give their word without following through, he called them worthless. He said they're worthless men. Their word did not line up with their character, therefore they're a worthless man. Are you with me today? This is so opposite to God. This is so opposite to the way God works because God, in order to save you and I, all he did was give his word. He sent the word. The word is what delivers us. The word is what saves us. The word is what redeems us. The word became flesh. Are you with me today? The word accomplished everything that God promised. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. You can't separate God from his word. Are you with me today? Worthless men, they don't keep their word. God, you can't separate him from his word. Worthless men are men who enter into contracts but have no intention of doing what they say. This is what drives us crazy about politics. It's a bunch of guys promising stuff that never deliver. Worthless men. Is that okay? The men of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible describes them as worthless men because they were breaking covenants all the time, doing all kinds of things for their own selfish gain. They were worthless men. Eli's son, the high priest Eli, his sons were, were called worthless men because they had a calling from God and just did whatever they wanted with no regard for anyone else. They're worthless men. These were men that violated covenant. See, the world that we live in today operates with contracts. We understand contracts. We sign contracts for houses and cars and literally any agreement that we get into. And what a contract says is that if you do A, B, and C, I'll do D, E, and F. But if you don't do A, B, and C, and I'm doing D, E, and F, there's gonna be a price to pay. There's gonna be some recourse. So if I bring A, B, and C to the table, and you bring D, E, and F to the table, we're good. Most people enter marriage that way. They think that marriage is a contract. Are you still with me today? But a contract is 50-50, all right? A contract says, if I do my share, well then you're gonna do your share. But God doesn't operate like that. God doesn't operate in, co in contracts. God makes covenants. God makes covenants. Jesus said, take, take this cup of the new covenant in my blood. A covenant is not 50-50. A covenant is 100-100. And here's what you need to understand. God's never stopped being good to me. 
God's never stopped being good to any of us. I mean, you just think about it. God's always been good. In fact, what Jesus did on the cross, he was representing us, and in that moment, Jesus was, was making a covenant with God. And the covenant he was making with the Father, he's saying this, because of this covenant in my blood, regardless of what they do, we are gonna remain faithful. And so Jesus, with this covenant, made a promise with God that regardless of our sin, regardless of circumstance, God's gonna remain faithful. Second Timothy says it like this, if we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. In other words, my unfaithfulness to God doesn't sway his flawless perfection. There's nothing I can do to corrupt God's character. He cannot be unfaithful. Not possible. Unfaithful with God is totally impossible. He remains faithful. Why? Because he cut a covenant on the cross. He cut a covenant on the cross and said, I'm going to be faithful. It doesn't matter what we do. God remains faithful. And so what I found in marriage is that I took vows to carry and I said things like this. I said, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. Isn't that what we said? I said, for better or for worse. In other words, this isn't a contract. This is a covenant. This is 100%, 100% commitment that, Carrie, I'm your husband. Babe, I'm your provider, I'm your protector. It doesn't matter what happens, come hell or high water, I, I'm giving you 100%. And Carrie looked back at me that day and she said, babe, no matter what happens, no matter what ha comes our way, sickness, health, rich or poor, regardless, I'm giving you 100%. It's not a contract. Marriage is a commitment, it's a covenant. 100, 100. Let me dive into it a little bit deeper. Husbandry, the term husbandry is actually an old English term. It's actually a job description. I don't know if you knew that. Sometimes it feels like a job, right? All right, husbandry, it's actually a job description. And, and what it was, it described a man that was taking care of a piece of land to make it fruitful. That's a husband. And so a husband actually describes the guy that bought the field. Makes a lot of sense. It's someone who would take responsibility of the field to take the land and then turn it to make it fruitful produce wheat or crops or herbs or fruit trees or, or, or livestock, whatever, to, that, that's what a husband does. So you can tell how you're doing as a husband based on the fruitfulness coming from your bride. You can tell how good you are at being a husband based on the fruitfulness coming from your field. So I can, I can listen to, to advice from Johnny and Jen. And the reason I can is because I see the fruit in their lives. I can listen to advice from different couples around the church where I see the fruit going on in their lives and I can say, you know what? I see that fruitfulness, I want that, and so I can take advice from them. Jesus says, he says, I want you to beware of false teachers, you'll know them by their false teaching. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that, does it? Jesus says, beware of false prophets, you'll know them by their false prophecies. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. He says, beware of false prophets. You'll know them by their fruit. Let me mess you up a little bit. Is that all right? Matthew 16 says this. 
Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and then he, he left them. And so, look at this. I was thinking about this. I've, I've read this two times this year. It bugged me. That Jesus is calling Jonah a prophet. Jonah prophesies. You know what he said? He said, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Never happened. Never happened. Was he a false prophet? No, he wasn't a false prophet. He, he did his assignment. He prophesied what God told him to say. But Jonah was not a prophet based on what he said. Jonah was a prophet by the fruit of his life. And the picture of his life was a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Jonah went down into the belly of the whale for three days and was, was resurrected back on that beach. And so his life was a prophecy. You judge prophets by the fruit of their life. The sign of Jonah was the context of his life, and it's the same for us. I don't know if any of you got that, but I, want, I hope you did. Listen to it again later on. You judge by the fruit. And so if you look at my life, and if you look at my life and my marriage with Carrie, if you look at the marriages on our staff, if you think about Pastor Carl and Sister Bonnie, been married over 50 years, you think about, you can, look at, you can look at Bryn and Cindy and their marriage and the fruit of their marriage. You can look at Drew and Lisa and, and their marriage and what's happening in their marriage. If you don't like the fruit of what's represented on this staff, you should run. I'm telling you right now, you should get, get as far away from this church as, pos, as possible. Find a church where the fruit is good. Because husbandry, your marriage is always judged by the fruit. We're not contract keepers, we're covenant makers. We're committed to each other. Come hell or high water, can I hear the husband say amen? Third point is love synthesis. Develop love synthesis. And I didn't know how else to put this, and so I'll do the best I can. We're talking about fields, we're talking about fruit. And so all plant life needs something called photosynthesis to survive. And if you can go back to your junior high days, you'll, you'll remember learning in science, earth science, about photosynthesis. And this is, this, is a, 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 um, uh, this is where plants have a chemical reaction with the sun, and, and we recognize that without sunlight, plants can't survive. Literally impossible. There's something that the sun releases uh, to the plants that, that causes a chemical re reaction, and then all life flows from that. It's photosynthesis. And in the same way, you and I, we need the sun's light. All right? Sounds a little bit cheesy, but I'll try to do the best I can. When I got married, I thought, I thought well, Carrie is going to complete me. Like, like I, I, Carrie, now that she's in my life, she's going to fill in all of the gaps. And, and here's the thing. God doesn't view it like that. He doesn't view that your spouse is going to complete you. He views it differently. He says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And so what God's saying to me is, Adam, I didn't bring Carrie into your life to fill in what was missing. I brought Carrie into your life so you could learn to love her. And then as you learn to love her, I can begin to work on the deficiencies and what's missing in your life. And it happens in a relationship. See, I thought, I thought Carrie was sent by God on a performance contract, that her job was to fill in all of the spots that were lacking in my life. And God's like, nope. 
Adam, when I said it wasn't good for man to be alone, what I meant is there are going to be things in your life that will never develop unless you learn how to unselfishly love, unless you learn how to unselfishly give. While you were living with your parents, while you were a bachelor, everything was about you. Everything revolved around you. And now that you're married, and now that you're in covenant, now you're forced to care. All right, now you're in a place where you've got to be selfless. Now I've got you in a place where you have to learn that if you, if you want a return on your investment, you have to make an investment. And so one of the greatest things I've learned is that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. God gave me a wife to love, and here's the truth. The more that I love her, the more light from Christ begins to shine on my life. Now, here's what we got to grab a hold of. It's easy to love the lovely. Right? I mean, it's easy to love when everything's going good, everything's perfect, the bills are paid, everything's well. But it's harder when things aren't going so well. It's harder when you have to love someone beyond their mistakes. How many of you know when you get married, you uncover a lot of mistakes? Things are said, things go flying around. Love will be tested. And this is what I love about the example of Christ in Romans 5. He said that God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And, and, and what, what happened in that moment, because of the love of God and his sacrifice to die for us, what that produced in us is forgiveness. God forgave us in this moment. And because of forgiveness, we are given new life. Forgiveness is life-giving. Love synthesis is forgiveness. I'm gonna read a quote to you because it just really hit me this week when I, was, when I was studying for this message. It says this, it says, forgiveness is like the flower that diffuses her fragrance on the boot that crushed it as it walked past. You see, I think, I think we live in a society today that we live in an age of no forgiveness. We live in an age of no forgetness. It's, it's cancel culture. And so what's at a premium in relationships is forgiveness. It's what's missing. A lot of times what's missing in relationships is a culture of forgiveness. But I wanna tell you, you're never more kingdom-minded. You're never more like Christ than when you forgive. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love chooses to forgive. Love chooses to forget. And a lot of times we'll say, you know, I forgive you. But if I forgive Carrie this week and then remind her next week of all the mess-ups she had, did I truly forgive her? Obviously, I'm not. I'm, I'm still holding on to it. There's still energy around what happened. To, to forgive means I'm letting it go. It, it, it never happened. If I really forgive her, I don't have the right to br keep bringing it up. It's love synthesis. It's, it's life-giving to forgive my spouse. Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And there's a reason for that. There's something powerful about loving someone beyond their last mistake. And I'm gonna tell you something, in every marriage, there's gonna be mistakes. In the heat of the moment, there are gonna be things that are said that are hurtful, extremely hurtful. And it's easy just to hold on to that stuff especially in our culture today, just to kind of cancel and say, you know what, then forget it. 
But I want to tell you something. There's something about forgiveness. It's love synthesis. It's life-giving to forgive your spouse. And for Carrie and I, it's been 28 years of making mistakes. We're not perfect. We still make mistakes. We still, we still hurt each other once in a while. But because forgiveness is active in our marriage, we always surface to the top with success. We always surface back with blessing. We always sur surface back with victory. And so maybe here in this, in this place today, maybe there's marriages in this room, and when you think about your marriage, you recognize it's hanging by a thread, it's not doing so good. Maybe there's some, some, some people here today, and you're saying, you know what, I don't know how much longer I can take this. I wanna, I wanna tell you something, it's not too late. I wanna challenge you, come back to this word. What am I talking about? I'm saying dig again. Sometimes the, the best thing that you can do is say, you know what, I'm gonna find that treasure I once saw. It's been covered over by mistakes and problems and, and, and areas that I've neglected, and so I'm gonna begin to uncover and unearth the treasure that I once saw. I'm challenging you today to dig again, and if you do, I guarantee that you'll begin to, your, your, your marriage will begin to flourish once again, and your, your spouse, I'll, I'm gonna promise you this, they were made by God, and that means they are loaded with treasure. Dig again. Number two, be a covenant maker. It wasn't a contract that you signed when you, when, you, when you got married. Marriage is not a contract of you do this and I'll do that. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is a fruit-producing covenant commitment for richer or poorer, better or worse, sickness or health, come hell or high water, I'm committed to you. Be a covenant maker. Be a covenant maker. Number three, develop a life-giving love synthesis. Forgiveness. I want you to hear this. Forgiveness is life-giving to your relationship. Forgiveness is life-giving to your kids. It's life-giving to your spouse. You demonstrate the love of Christ. You're never more like Christ than when you're forgiving. You're never more like Christ when you forgive. I'm gonna challenge you right now, regardless of the wrong that's been done, regardless of the words that have been said, you demonstrate the love of God when you forgive. Some of you need to do that today. The moment you stop forgiving, you stop growing. Some of you have held things, grudges, bitterness, you've held it in your heart towards your spouse or toward another person. And I'm telling you, the worst thing that you can do is keep bitterness alive in your heart because that root of bitterness will go down. It will destroy your life. Some of you right now, you need to make a commitment and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm forgiving. I'm not holding on to this any longer. It's killing me. It's killing my relationships. It's hurting my, 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 my marriage. It's hurting my relationship with my kids. I'm making a decision right now. I'm gonna forgive. I really feel the Lord right now on this word. You feel God's talking to somebody right now. You gotta forgive, you gotta forget, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go, amen. Lord, we thank you today for this word, we thank you. Thank you for marriages. Lord, this design of yours, the design for family, the design for community, the design for government, it all comes back to the institution of marriage that you created for us to enjoy. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I pray that as a church, we would dig for the treasure that's inside of the people that surround us. 
whether it be our spouse or whether our kids. Lord, I pray that we would invest into those relationships. Lord, whether we begin to dig and pursue the treasure that's there. In Jesus' name. I pray that we'd be co- we would be covenant makers. Lord, that we wouldn't live on, a, on, a, on expectation alone, but we'd live on covenant regardless of the circumstance. We commit to love. It's a covenant relationship. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that we develop a love synthesis. Lord, the ability to forgive. Help us to recognize the importance of forgiveness and letting go so that we can move on to what's next. Lord, it's life-giving to forgive. You proved that when you forgave us. We walk in new life because of your forgiveness. I pray that we would do the same in our relationships, that we learn and be willing and eager to forgive, to not hold a grudge, to not hold, not to hold bitterness and against someone, but we learn to forgive. All over this place, if any of these particular points touched you in any way, right in your chair, would you just raise your hand and say, you know, that's me. I'm gonna work on one or more of these things. Let me see your hands, let me see your hands. Come on, all over this place, all the way in the back, side to side. Thank you for those hands, thank you for those hands. Lord, keep them lifted right now. God, right now, right now, we commit this to you. We commit this to you. I pray, Lord, as we take strides, Lord, to, to attempt to get the best marriage and family that you have for us. Lord, I pray that blessing would be upon them, this, this house. Lord, that blessing would be upon these families. Lord, as they pursue the kingdom, what the kingdom is like, I pray, Lord God, that they would experience that in their life right now. Heaven on earth, heaven in our homes, heaven in our marriages, heaven in our families, God. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Would you stand this morning? We're gonna worship the Lord. Jesus, only you. Can we sing that? Let's all sing it out together to the Lord. Sing Jesus, only you. Jesus, only You're the center of my marriage, Lord, the center of it all. Sing it out to the Lord. Come on. Jesus, only you. Come on, sing that again. Sing Jesus, only you. Everyone in this place.
bit of an interesting thing. We don't typically end like this, but is everybody willing to help us out this morning? Because we're going to need your help. Okay. So as I said, we're, we're, we've been recording an album for, for a little while. First of all, how much, what, what an amazing message that, that was this morning. Wasn't that tremendous? What a great start to this month. Now, I promise that we're going to get you out of here as fast as we possibly can. This should only take just a couple of minutes. But what we need is silence. Because what you don't recognize on a regular basis, now you see these microphones right here and these microphones up here, they are, they are, they are, they, they, you are being mic'd every single week because the people on our live stream need to hear 